Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Coming up... I'd say not only has Brexit made it more difficult for Scotland to rejoin, but it may have also influenced people's opinions. I think it's awkward and embarrassing. I don't think it's lethal um, because if Boris Johnson stays on, despite being a rogue, it seems pretty rough on Douglas Ross to have to resign for being principled. And if you're not going into the detail of that, it's just an automatic we'll join, then it is going to cause a lot of aggro, I think, with even just core SNP members. Well there, and happy Valentine's Day. I hope your mantelpiece is simply weighted down with cards. I'm Brian Taylor. Very warm welcome to the return of my Herald podcast. Now, on the show today, we'll be looking at the, the future of the Prime Minister, whatever that may, might be, as he visits Scotland. We'll take a look at the very tense situation in Crane developing all the time as we speak. But we start this new series with a new series. The Herald as ever is leading the way with a prolonged, detailed scrutiny of Scotland's future. You'll get insightful, thorough analysis, and subscribers will be able to join me in putting the key questions to, to experts. Closes on Wednesday on the subject of Europe, which we'll be talking about today. I'm delighted to be joined by the Herald's own political experts today. Tom Gordon, welcome, the political editor, Westminster editor Hannah Roger. And David Ball, political correspondent. Welcome all three. Tom, let's kick off with you. Your thoughts on, you know, maybe spell out to folk what, what the Scotland's future initiative is all about. Well, um, we felt that um, there's a gap in the market. Um, it started as a way to compare what was said in the white paper of 2013 14 around the first referendum with how things have moved on. Um, that was then. This is now. The debates have moved on. Um, the Scottish government is actively updating its white paper on independence. Yeah. But while we wait for that, there is uh, a gap there that we were trying to contribute to, to fleshing out a little bit. Um, academics are doing it. They're helping with this series. It's largely driven by academics and uh, authorities rather than journalists just or politicians rehashing their old arguments. Uh-huh. So we've gone to academics to provide um, their insights, their objective take on how things have moved on in the constitutional debate. And the genesis of it was to very much look at what was said in the white paper and compare it with the the arguments as they stand today. But we've kind of expanded that. We've moved beyond the constitutional debate. So the series will also touch on um, devolved areas like health, education and transport and things like that. But it's expert-driven, and it is basically just filling that gap in the market because people want an informed debate. You know, we have this habit in Scotland of going round and round the same talking points, and it's quite sterile. So we're trying to move things along with some uh, informed uh, opinion and debate. And hopefully um, the Europe uh, instalment, which was the first instalment given yeah. Brexit, is such a, a massive change since 2014 and sort of set the tone for that. Thanks, Tom. It's terrific. Let, let's bring in Hannah and then and then David. Let's go with Europe. Let, let's go to the, 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 the European question. Hannah, we, we I've got a, Tom was mentioning the white paper, the white paper prior to the 2014 referendum forecast, and I quote, a smooth and timely transition to independent membership of the EU. Now, I'm sure the SNP would still say that would be the case. Uh, were they to be seeking to to rejoin? But of course, we've had the the small matter of Brexit. Scotland, including, mm-hmm. uh, is included in the UK and therefore is excluded 
from current membership of, of the EU. Does, does that change the debate completely in your view? Well, I think, you know, speaking to, as Tom was saying, experts, because, you know, you can ask the politicians and they'll all give their view based on yeah. their own allegiance. Whereas, you know, if you ask the experts, clearly Brexit has had a massive impact on, you know, Scotland's ability to just kind of rejoin the EU. Um, but, you know, some people have described independence if Scotland was to to become independent, it would be like Brexit times 100. So I think uh-huh. not only is it made it more I'd say not only has Brexit made it more difficult for Scotland to rejoin, but it may have also influenced people's opinions based on their Brexit experience, because it's safe to say it has been kind of, I guess, quite a traumatic experience for everyone. Okay, a lot of topics there, topics about the the nature of rejoining, whether Scotland were to wish to 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 seek to rejoin. David, let's bring in bring in you the the let's let's kick around this idea of whether there would be a wish to rejoin. We have Keir Starmer. So Keir Starmer, the Labour leader today, asked about whether he would seek to take the UK back into the EU, and he delivers a very firm no on that. The SNP say that helps their case because it proves the only way for Scotland to get back into the European Union, should they desire it, is is through independence, that they, they believe the Westminster route is now blocked. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Keir Starmer today said there was no case for rejoining, and basically we're not going we're not going back to the, the EU. But um, Labour's got itself in tied in knots really appealing to different audiences Keir Starmer is obviously trying to appear appear to that um sort of northern England red wall but well, he was he was in the northeast of England wasn't he when he was speaking well, exactly it was BBC Newcastle I think it was yeah. so he's he's obviously trying to appeal to that sort of a local audience but I don't think Anasawa would completely want that given no. he's trying to win back support in Scotland uh-huh. and if Labour do want to win at the next election they're going to have to do something to claw back some of that support up here Anna, you want to come in yeah no it was just on that point David, because I was looking at like some comments from Anas Sarwar ahead of the elections last year, and his point was, you know, he would say that it would be beneficial for Scotland if the UK was more aligned with the EU. Uh-huh. You know, so I think you're right. He is kind of appealing to the north east of England, but it's almost like he forgot that everyone in the whole of the UK can hear what he's saying. <laughs> no, one, so it, one, B, one BBC when you do an interview with Newcastle it's, it's used everywhere yeah it'll be really interesting to see how Scottish Labour like navigate yeah. that because it is yeah. a bit of a spanner in the works L- loads of luck with that one Anna Tom the, the in, in the Herald series really intriguing article by Alec Neil, former cabinet secretary saying warning Nicola Sturgeon basically that she would lose IndyRef2 uh, if, she, if, if, it, if she makes the EU return in, uh, in, implicit in that Yes, I mean, this is quite a uh, point of live debate within the SNP and the wider yes movement, how to approach this. Um, the argument goes that if there is a yes vote and we move to an independent Scotland, is EU uh, membership then automatic or do we put it back to the people in a, a sort of EU ref to, uh, to follow India ref to? Do you think that idea last... is beginning to gain some ground? Yes, I think it may be. I mean, yeah. last year in the Holyrood elections, I asked Nicola Sturgeon about this very point and why there was no second EU referendum in the manifesto. And she said it was not her policy to have one, so that if Scotland voted for independence, the EU membership process would then follow uh, inexorably. It wouldn't go back to the people. Now, this has not pleased some people, not least Alex Neil, who think it's uh-huh. 
a matter of democracy. And certainly if you look at just the, the timing of it, if Nicola Sturgeon gets exactly the timetable she wants, yeah. Scotland will become independent probably spring 2026. That's a decade after the EU vote. Yeah. There is surely an argument to be had that you cannot rely on the vote of 10 years hence, especially if you've just overturned the vote of 2014. Yeah. And the argument, Tom, politically, the argument is that, that although although EU membership might attract some people who are otherwise sceptical about independence, it might, you know, because of the Alec Neil sort of argument, it might put off some people. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the, the SNP regarded the, the, the EU as a, as a, as a as a plot to, to, to do down Scotland's uh, in, independence. Under yeah, I mean, Alex Neil does have a dog in this fight because he was the Aye, only SNP MSP who was publicly opposed to, uh, publicly supported Brexit, rather. So he was kind of out of step with his colleagues on that one. But he does have a point. He's, he argues from democracy, just that, you know, you ought to put a big change like that to the people. Yeah. Uh, they deserve their say on it. And I think... Um, He's also got an eye to the arithmetic as well. If you fuse these two issues, you may dissuade people. And we always think of the third of SNP voters who were told voted for Brexit. Yeah. You may dissuade some of those people yeah. from voting for independence. Now, I'm sure Nicola Sturgeon thinks, look, if you support independence, you're going to vote for it, whether the EU is tagged on or not. But I think Alex Neil's a bit more sceptical. And I was I always cast my mind back to the 1997 devolution referendum, if you remember. Very good comparison. We split that. So we had a two-part question then. And the first part was, do you want there to be a Scottish Parliament? And 74% said yes. And the second question was, if there's a Parliament, should it have tax-raising powers? And 64% said yes. Yep. So 74 for the first bit, 64 for the bit after that. Now, if you have a sort of referendum where it's, do you want independence? plus EU membership, nice. that might knock just a few points off yeah. the vote you might get if you just ask a pure question on do you want independence. And if, you, if, if, you, if you're only in the 51-52% zone and you deter just 2 or 3%, then maybe you miss that independence threshold and independence doesn't carry after all because sufficient people have been deterred by the EU. It might also be tempting in 97, for example, Labour deliberately that, that one of the reasons for the referendum was that they wanted to win the election and not have it tied in to the question of Scottish self-government. I remember that, that, that election campaign very well. Every single day we wanted to ask about self-government. Every single day Labour said that will be determined by the referendum to come. So they tried, as you say, to uncouple the questions. D David, do you think, uh, do you see the SNP? I mean, th this issue isn't, isn't finished by any means, is it? Do you, do you see the SNP tiptoeing down towards uh, a referendum, or one or two might say European economic area, or is it on the other hand that the justification for holding the referendum in the first place is EU membership? Would it be a bit perverse if they weren't including that as intrinsic to the offer? Well, yeah, I think it's going to be a big part of the new updated Indy case will be if you vote for independence, you'll get EU membership. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't um, part of that sort of vision. Um, but I mean, this is going to be a complex thing joining the EU and not giving the public even um, a sniff of what the arrangement would be, which you could deal out the, the sort of specifics in a referendum on the EU, yeah. whereas just a vote for independence is a vote for the EU might put a, bit, a lot of people off. I mean, there's big issues on sort of the currency and the border impact yeah. to start with. 
And if you're you're not going into the detail of that, it's just an automatic will join, then it is going to cause a lot of aggro, I think, with even just core SNP members. But of course, um, Hannah, let's talk about the another article, Kirsty Hughes, the director of the Scottish Centre on European Relations article in the Herald series, highlighting some of these points that David's mentioned, the currency. She was highlighting the point about the Scotland-England border without necessarily you know, coming down either way. She was just drawing attention to these. That question of the Scotland-England border is because Scotland would be in the EU if she rejoins an independent nature, nation. England would not. There'd be two different rules, which presumably would mean a, a, a customs uh, border. And that's something that could put people off independence, never mind EU membership. Yeah. Is, is that is that as a dilemma at the very least for the for the advocates of independence? Yeah, I think so. I think as well, just before you kind of get on to that yeah. point, I think, you know, there are maybe it's just me, you know, my perception, but there's no guarantee that Scotland could just rejoin the EU, surely. And as David said, it's not as a it's a complex process. It's not something that that happens overnight. So, you know, I think that linking Scottish independence and EU membership is it's really really um, challenging. But in terms of your question about the border, you know, we're going to see something if if that scenario happened, we would see a situation like Northern Ireland all over again. Never yes. mind the impact, because of course goods come from Northern Ireland to Scotland down to the rest of yes. you know the UK. So what, what we would have would be Northern Ireland not in the EU, Scotland in the EU, England not in the EU, Wales not you know, it you yeah. would, it would be a customs nightmare, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's bad enough the Northern Ireland situation now, I can't imagine what kind of impact that would have politically and just in general for commerce yeah. and the economy. Um, it it would be really really challenging and not as David said you know when you've got independence as one issue um, you can kind of ask direct questions about what currency would we use how would the border work but when you combine this EU membership you know it, it creates a whole other set of questions that I don't think are easily answerable together with independence, if you know what I mean. Tom, the, the advocates of independence must hope that there is a resolution to the Northern Ireland Protocol problem as perhaps a, a you know a template for, for ways that there could be a resolution to the issue we're just discussing. Well, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, again, she floated this last year as a, as a potential template. Uh, she was sort of widely mocked at that point because problems were springing out all over the place with the protocol. Yeah. I mean, there was an interesting report from one of our contributors, uh, Professor Nicola McEwen, um, uh of Edinburgh University recently. I mean, she makes the point, uh, her and her colleague Katie Hayward of Queen's University Belfast, they made the point that the Northern Ireland Protocol is very much rooted in the Good Friday Agreement and the peace process and the history of political violence in Northern Ireland. It, Scotland would not get something similar. The EU has gone out of its way to help on that front because of the history of violence in Northern Ireland. There's not a parallel to Scotland. Scotland might want some, you know, all singing, all dancing opt-out that gives it everything it wants, but it ain't going to get it. Northern Ireland's a special case. And if mm. I could just skip back briefly to um, the point about whether to have a, a separate referendum yep. on the yep. EU membership. One of our other colleagues, uh, Kathleen Nutt, had a very interesting story the other day. Um, she talked to the deputy leader of the SNP, Keith Brown, 
Mm-hmm. And he revealed that he and Mike Russell, the SNP president, were actively discussing whether there ought to be an EU referendum. So the matter is not settled. Nicola Sturgeon said last year it wasn't her policy, but we all know how the policies uh, and po- politicians' plans tend to evolve over time. So yeah. it may be that when it comes to it, the offer is for a second EU referendum. I mean, I, I think that that might help the, the SNP on one front because it might uh, pacify a lot of people who are uh, assuage a lot of people who are worried about having the two things yoked together. But it also raises the prospect of what sort of form is this second referendum? Because yes. Alec Neil and others don't necessarily want the EU as an option, but they don't necessarily want the status quo either. They would rather go into EFTA, uh-huh. European Free Trade Association, uh-huh. and from EFTA, progress into the European economic area. So there are, you could have a multi-part referendum if you go down the separate EU referendum route. And if you have some sort of confirmatory referendum on EU membership, you can just imagine the unionist opponents saying, well, shouldn't we have a confirmatory referendum on the independence proposal as well? So to concede this second referendum on the EU, you might have some sort of proliferation of options in referenda. Mm -hmm. Might solve one problem but create others, yeah. Yeah, but I think the issue is in flux, is the main thing. Uh Aha, I agree. What Nicola said last year was what she said last year, where we are now, is somewhere different. I don't think it's it's nailed down yet. David, we heard from from Graham Avery, an excellent article again in the Herald series, saying that he reckoned Europe broadly would welcome Scotland, because Scotland would be cooperative. Scotland has had umpteen decades, several decades, of meeting the, the, the European constitutional tests, etc. His estimate was three to four years for Scotland to rejoin. And he, he, he pointed out that, okay, that there could be difficulties in, in trade Scotland to England, but he said there were difficulties in trade Ireland to, 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 to England when, when you know, the, the, the separate um, uh, free state was formed. But he, he reckoned that perhaps Scotland could, could build better relations with the European mainland, if we can uh, use that phrase. And he also reckoned no Spanish veto. So he was putting you know, forward a, a, a scenario in which it could be beneficial ultimately to Scotland. Yeah, I mean, and it could be very beneficial to Scotland. I mean, the, the SNP are very quick to point out the benefits of staying in the European market and staying as part of the bloc. But there, there will be big issues that weren't there before Brexit that are Scotland now joining outside of the EU. Because uh-huh. there was talk about sort of trying to alter the membership of the UK to to meet Scotland's needs. But now it is like we would be going into the to the EU potentially with um, the, the UK pound as our currency. Uh-huh. There's, there's lots of complexities. And yeah, the three to four years, probably something the SNP wouldn't be keen on if they want a, quite a, if you think when we're going to be independent and then another four years at least until we're part of the EU. It's, it's a huge drawn out process and there's going to be more questions and more issues. And we probably haven't seen the end of sort of some of the issues we're already seeing with Brexit and what those negotiations sort of entail. But of course, if Nicola Sturgeon were here joining us, and I'm, I'm sure she will at a future podcast, but if she were joining us, she would point out that Scotland was told in 2014 the way to stay in the EU was to stay in the other union of the UK, and that uh, hasn't quite happened. But look, chums, we're going to move on to, to other topics now. Thanks very much for that. Just remind viewers that and listeners of whatever you call them on, on podcast that are doing a special on Wednesday in which I'll, I'll have... the. the a number of the experts that we've we've cited here in the Herald series, you'll be able to put your questions to them. You know, send the questions in, and we'll put them to the experts. Stress that event is for subscribers only. So if you're not already a subscriber, please sign up, and you can join that event on Wednesday. We'll be doing a series of these 
which with each of the topics that that you know Tom mentioned that are going to be coming up in this Edel series on Scotland's future. Um, Hannah, we can't go on without uh, in, in this a episode, this show, without mentioning Boris Johnson. He's in Scotland today. Uh, I, I wouldn't imagine he's got a, a meeting penciled in with Douglas Ross anytime soon, does he? Maybe, maybe, no. maybe he does. Maybe they'll make up. Maybe they'll. Make I don't. Up. I don't think so. I was just thinking. You know. I forgot it was Valentine's Day today, so that shows you a lot about the state of my uh, love life at the minute. But anyway, um, you know, I don't think Boris Johnson is going to receive a lot of love in Scotland uh, (laughs) on his visit today. I think that it's quite ironic that he is on this visit. He's talking about uniting the union, um, joining forces, levelling up. You know, he's saying that the Scottish Tories and, you know, him uh, he says you know they're working really closely together and uh, taking a joined up approach and he's saying all of those things while he's standing alone on a visit with no Scottish Tories around him but the Scottish leader um, has told him openly to go several times to, to yeah go. so that you know it'll be easy it's a tricky situation and and there's still a lot of talk as much as the Scottish Tories and obviously Tom and David will be able to um share their views on it but there's a lot of talk from the Scottish Tories that you know Douglas is fine it, it's not going to affect him even if even if Boris Johnson doesn't resign uh-huh. somehow D- Douglas Ross can remain in his post uh-huh. but I haven't really heard a logical argument as to how that would work I don't know if Tom and David have heard much about it but yeah. it's certainly I think Douglas has created a bit of a, a situation for himself by calling... But of course he is elected by the membership, not appointed by the, the Prime Minister. Tom, Tom what, what are you hearing on that that scene? It, it, this is a difficult one for Douglas Ross, isn't it? It's, I think it's awkward and embarrassing. I don't think it's lethal um, because if Boris Johnson stays on, despite being a rogue, it seems pretty rough on Douglas Ross to have to resign yes. for being principled. Uh, and I can't I don't know who's going to come forward and make that argument that Douglas Ross was too principled for his own good. We should get rid of him and have another rogue in there. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a tough pitch. Have, have they got some rogues waiting in the wings in the Scottish party? Presumably they do. So Sorry. I think I think he can try and take credit from it. You know, he'll just yeah. sort of try and flip it on his head and say, Well, look at me, I'm the guy with principle. I, I spoke my mind. You can rely on me to speak my mind. Look at, you know, I'll stand by my guns on things like that. Yeah, and I think in other bring people in the party as well. I mean, Ruth Davison's got his back as well. I can't yeah. see um, a delegation going to Douglas Ross and saying, you've, you know, you've made a mess of this one, son. Time to get out. I think a lot of senior Tories in the Scotland will privately agree with them. Even if people don't suggest that Douglas Ross has to resign, how does he navigate, for example, the next general election if Boris Johnson is still leader of the Tories? How 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 does he explain that? How does he navigate the party conference in the, in in the, the spring? You know, Scottish party conference. I mean, to be honest, I'm thinking more in the short term. I'm more thinking about the local elections in the conference. Yeah. Whether Boris Johnson makes it to the general election is a much bigger question. Mm. There's a lot of time between now and then. Um, it'll be embarrassing. You know, he'll just have to put on his hard hat and lump it, I think. <laughs> the other parties will have a good crack at him. They'll have a lot of fun at his expense. But, yeah. you know, he's just going to have to take his notes on say, He's a football referee. He's used to getting abuse from the sidelines. You know, David, I'll bring you in a second. Hannah, I should have asked one thing. 
where are we on the party's inquiry? What, what, what stage has that reached? So we're, oh, where are we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the only thing that I've been thinking about and writing about, really, apart from um, Ukraine in the past couple of weeks. So the latest is obviously last week, the Met police said that they had sent out these 50 uh, questionnaires to yes. Downing Street staff. Um, it wasn't clear as to whether Boris Johnson was going to receive one or not. It was kind of, you know, estimation that he, w- he would receive it. So we have heard today that he did receive a questionnaire. Downing Street has told us this morning that they will they, they won't confirm today if he has actually filled it in yet. They are not going to release the information that he provides in the questionnaire. Right. They're not going to make that public. Um, but they're saying, you know, we've got seven days to send it back, so we will send it back in that time. Um, you know, whether it stays private, I don't know, because there's a lot of things which aren't officially released that somehow end up in the media yeah. uh, from Downing Street. So we'll see what happens there. But that that's kind of where we're at. And, of course, you know, to throw a spanner in the works, the small issue of Cressida Dick resigning last week, there's questions about whether or not that will impact the investigation so Anna could he could he stay in office if he faces a fixed fine it would be a fixed penalty if, if he get if he gets that could could a prime minister stay in office in those circumstances I mean looking the only thing that I can really say you know on that is looking at previous prime ministers and previous examples yeah. and I don't see you know if he receives a pe- fixed penalty notice that that's still a some form of prosecution you know yes. it, it's the person who receives it has committed an offense offense yeah. yeah so you can't you know if it was anyone else but boris johnson i would say no absolutely not they they would be gone yeah. and i think a lot of the you know i don't think the tory mps would stand for it if he said well i'm not i'm still not going to resign but yeah. there have been reports that he said he Still wouldn't resign even if Tell he, that he would treat it like a parking fine and, and wouldn't go. David, let me bring in another topic. The, the Prime Minister announcing two new, he calls them free ports. The Scottish Government prefers the phrase, I think, green free ports. Um, but the actual Greens, who are in, in a, uh, an alliance of, uh, uh, in, in Scottish Government, they're, they're not exactly happy with this, are they? They're pretty upset. Well, yeah, I mean, these, these green uh, green ports, free ports, whatever you want to call them, they give sort of um, a special sort of tax break and lower tariffs to big businesses which doesn't really fit into the green sort of mantra or sort of ideology about sort of leveling up the sort of playing field between big business and, and the, uh, the public sector so this has been sort of brewing as a row in the background for quite a while between the scottish and uk yeah. governments um the scottish government wanted the they brought forward their alternative plans um talks broke down ivan mckee who was leading the scottish government talks with the uk government got replaced by kate forbes because he wasn't making much progress mm-hmm. so it was always going to sort of blow up but even now we've got some sort of agreement the uk government are kind of questioning whether the the scottish government greenport plan is actually what's happening um and they've, they've argued long argued that um the the demands of the smp were for Sort of stuff that um, dealt deal with the climate change, or companies yes. to make commitments. And that's to why they're calling greenports, yeah. Yeah, and to sort of a workers' rights. But the UK government has always insisted that if this happened and there were special circumstances in Scotland, yes. they would essentially just be less competitive than the yeah. ones that have been set up in less England. Less attractive. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll see what comes of that. H- Hannah, you mentioned you, you you've been doing 
stories about Partygate and and of course the the, the dreadful tense crisis in Ukraine. Um, yeah. we're, we're just coming towards the end of the program, but it would be perverse not to mention that we have mm. headlines in the newspapers saying Europe on the brink of war. It really is. Is is it? It, it's obviously a serious concern. Where do you see that going? An impossible question, I know, but uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, give me a crystal ball and I'll tell you the answer. But no, um, certainly it's not It's not improved at all. I know that there's going to be, Boris Johnson's going to hold a COBRA meeting on Wednesday, but Liz Truss probably, as we speak, actually is chairing one to talk about, you know, the consular assistance Um that people can receive who are still in Ukraine. So obviously that comes after the Friday um, announcement where they said, you know, any any UK citizens in Ukraine, please leave now. So now they're kind of, I think, trying to figure out, okay, how can we help people who are maybe not wanting to leave or who need help to, to leave the country? And certainly Boris Johnson today gave quite a kind of, I guess, traumatic... Um, assessment he said that you know potentially there could be an invasion within the next 40 hours so you know it, it doesn't look as if the situation's kind of de-escalating any no. time soon no. D- David we have with the the sort of varied responses from Ukraine the Ukrainian ambassador to the UK first of all saying that they could perhaps shelve that idea that ambition of NATO membership and then having to roll back from that is that that's obviously what Russia's after, isn't it? Uh, uh, an end to that. Well, it's among the things it's after is an end to that ambition of NATO membership for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, Vladimir Putin basically wants them to rule out that the U- that Ukraine will ever join NATO. He sees it as some sort of threat. But whether that's going to happen, I mean, Ben Wallace was criticised by the Ukrainian sort of, um, I think, one of the diplomats at the weekend for saying this is basically smells of ap- appeasement, essentially. Of Munich, yeah. I mean, we had the Crimea sort of crisis in, I think it was 2014, where we put put, um, sanctions on on Russia after it annexed a bit of that. But it hasn't really gone away. There's always been sort of this ambition, clearly, of the Russian state to want to get its hands on a bit of Ukraine. And, yeah, whether that NATO commitment will sort of end that sort of appetite, it's pretty unclear. Yeah, and, and the talk, Tom, from the West is still of applying sanctions in the in the event of Russian military involvement, rather than at this stage, military involvement on on the West's own part. We'll see how effective those might be if they are called yeah. upon, given all the the Russian money swirling around in London, for instance, that has been allowed to to circulate for for years and years by the UK government. Um, I think the almost sort of like a common point um, among the uh, the Western allies has been. The refusal to put in troops. I mean, there may be some kit going in there, but I don't think anyone's going to put any boots in the ground. Um, I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if Zelensky, President Zelensky in Ukraine, does sort of make some sort of noises on backing away from the yes. NATO aspiration. That yes. seems to be the, the least painful way to do it. But I, I agree with David as well that if he does that, Russia might just keep pushing. I think there's an old sort of Russian phrase, whether it was Lenin or not, you keep putting in the bayonet until you reach bone, mm-hmm. you know? So Putin will just keep advancing and making it tougher and tougher for, for Ukraine. There's no reason to think that if you give a concession, he'll just sort of pack up and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm satisfied now, that's me done. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be bad for Ukraine, I think. It may not, I don't think, it may not be an invasion, but there's going to be just 
years and years of grinding pressure, I think. Yeah, hanging around on the, on 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 the, on the waters. Just briefly, finally, uh, uh, Hannah, w- 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 is is the, the 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 appetite presumably from from Russia is to put pressure on? Where is the appetite from the West? Is there a common position? I mean, Tom was saying there that the talk is primarily of of sanctions rather than, than the last thing anyone wants is a, is a, a, a war in in a European territory. Yeah, I mean that's entirely right. Um, and the sanctions situation, you know, MPs in Westminster certainly have been very vocal about basically the lack of action by the UK government in terms of sanctions against Russia, um, very critical of what they perceive as inaction on the Russia report, which came out about mm, 18 months ago now, um, which kind of detailed how the UK government could protect itself from Russian influence. And, you know, um, there's not really been a huge amount of progress there. So I think even though there is a focus on sanctions. I think people are quite sceptical as to what sanctions will be imposed, if that will be effective or not. Um, but certainly, you know, no one wants to go to war. I think of King Lear, I will do great things. I don't know what they be, but the world will be amazed. It, it, it's a, a relatively vapid threat, but never mind. H- Hannah, Tom, David, thank you very, very much indeed for for joining me for this. Now, remember, folks, the that, that special programme on Wednesday, special podcast, chance for you to submit questions. I'll put them to the experts in the quite remarkable Herald series on, on Scotland's future. So watch out for that. Watch out for future uh, uh, elements of the of the Scotland's future series as well. And, and many, many thanks to my guests for today and for me, Brian Taylor, to do the new. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add HeraldPod 2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 